Okay, if you have a Bible, if you guys want to open it to Genesis 1, 1 to 5. We're continuing in our, in our series in Genesis, wanting to gain a biblical worldview. So we'll be looking at Genesis 1, 1 to 5, the first day. And uh, what, what I hope for us to take away today is, uh, is something, I guess, all the time. I hope we can trust the Bible more. After hearing what Scripture has to say, that we're like, yes, we believe what God has to say. and We believe the Word of God. I, I hope that um, as you think through it with me, as we look here in the first day of creation, we'll see clearly, like, what does the text say? And, we, and, we'd, and then we would hold to and believe what the text of Scripture has to say with clarity. And it would even actually help us, uh, perhaps in conversation with other Christians, as we think through this topic, that we'd have a much clearer understanding of what is Genesis 1, what would, did, was God trying to tell us here in the beginning. I hope you can see very clearly, uh, without a doubt, and have some uh, things to back up, why we would hold to a literal 24-hour day, six literal 24-hour days in creation. I hope to give you uh, evidence there, proof within the Scripture. And of course, I hope we have an increase in the awe of God, our Creator, that we would just be more and more overwhelmed. I just want to worship. I want to praise Him. Even as we think through what happened in, in, in the first day, 24 hours, each day that we're given on this earth, that we would like, wow, this, look what I saw in a day. And then, and then be reminded, and God created this in a day. As, as we live our days, that we would be filled with more uh, reverence for God. And in one sense, as we're going to be going through, it's, it's kind of less a- applicable. You're like, okay, God spoke light in, into existence. And you're like, oh, how do I apply that to my life? <laughs> and and you, so it's going to be less applicable, but more in the sense, again, that we would know our Creator and reverence and trust him and grow in, in greater faith in him and be more aware of every aspect of his creation. So as I'm like in this week studying this passage and thinking through in, in Genesis chapter one, it's neat as I'm driving over here and see just another amazing uh, sunset. It's like pink and orange in the sky and I'm just like, yeah, the creator. All creation showing his glory. So if you want to stand with me, we're going to read uh, Genesis 1, 1 to 5. Uh, together. Genesis 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. May God bless his word to our souls. You can have a seat. So I've I've titled this message because I'm not original, the first day. <laughs> but actually, as you're going to see, even as we get to the end, that's actually not accurate. But you, I'll, I'll tell you why at the end. You'll, you'll, you'll see. So even last week, we just looked at verse 1. 
One verse one, a whole message. And you're like, wow, how did you get that out of, of verse one? I just want to just kind of touch on that. So again, one verse one. We all have, like everyone who was here last week, we all have it memorized now. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see that God was there before anything was, that he started all these things in the beginning, that he created time, space, and matter. And we could, we could say more there. We talked about that last week. But before we go on to verse 2, I just have to address, I kind of just hinted at last time, that there's actually, there's no gap in time between one and chapter, or sorry, verse 1 and verse 2. There's no gap here. And as I, I mentioned last week, I'm going to give a little bit more attention, attention this week, but some, and some believers, see in between verses 1 and 2 uh, billions of years. And I want to just kind of share with you why I think the text of Scripture actually doesn't allow us uh, to hold to that. Maybe, maybe some of you uh, even hold to that. Surely you have friends who do. And, and so let's just think through this for a moment. So it's called the gap theory. That's why I said there's no gap here because I'm really original. And uh, <laughs> that's how I think. So the gap theory uh, is, is this. One guy, uh, Sarfati, he says this. After the rise of long ages, ideas in the Enlightenment, like when people started thinking millions and billions of years, in the 18th century, many conservative biblical exegetes were intimidated by science. Put that in quotation. So they invented various schemes to squeeze billions of years into Scripture. One of the most famous is the gap theory. Gap theorists believe in six normal length creation days, but they also accept billions of years between verse 1 and 2. End quote. It also became very famous uh, because it was part of uh, the Schofield Reference Bible. So in like early uh, 19th century, or sorry, uh, 20th century, is this famous reference Bible. And so in the study notes, it's talked about, yeah, in between verse 1 and 2, here there's billions of years. So many people were raised on that. One, one thing to just think about, like the ver verse numbers aren't inspired, right? So in the original text, there's no 1 and 2. Like, so there's not like... You have to, like, in the middle of a, a sentence, kind of shove in, and then here's billions of years. Often uh, people will say about this gap theory that there was, like, as billions of years went by, there was usually some big catastrophe which kind of wiped out everything, which leaves in, in verse 2 uh, this place of being void and without form. But you think if there's some big catastrophe that, like, kind of destroyed everything and, like, maybe took out the sun, it would also destroy the ground. But then how would you argue about fossils being like laid so, you know, sediment rock one upon another, like it would have smashed that as well. But another really big thought is because the reason they do that is because of the geolo geological records and they're like, well, what about the fossils? But again, they're saying before day one of creation, so if there's fossils, then there's death. So they're saying before day one of creation in, Gen in Genesis, they would say maybe at verse three that started, there was death. And that, that is a, a big problem. So I just maybe again say this. The gap theory they believe between one and two billions of years and then after that they're like, and we believe in six literal days. Six little 20, 24 hour days. But so if you just think about this death, like death came into the world when? Like according to scripture. What's that? Genesis 3, there we go, all, all these whisper, whispers. Death came into the world, how? And by sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so that's when sin entered into the picture in, in Genesis chapter 3. And so that's when sin entered, that's when death entered. So like how, would, how are things dying beforehand if they were there previous? 1 Corinthians 5.21 says the same thing. For as in Adam, the first, all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. A death before the fall. And so even if you held to that, if you're like somehow, some way there was death before the fall, then they're like, well, who would be responsible for this death? Who would be responsible for this place that was like just destroyed in utter chaos? Well, God would be. We're saying that God built a place with disease and, and death. Uh, one commentator, Henry Morris, says this, the prime evil prevalence of suffering and death even before Satan's rebellion leaves only God himself as, a, as responsible for such a state. But the very idea that God, the God of order and love, would directly create and use a universal system based on randomness and cruelty seems almost blasphemous. You think as God's creating things, as we see in the day of creations, it's good. It's good. It's very good. Not this like, this mess of things that they would say happened beforehand. And also, so some, there's kind of like the, the gap theory, then there's like the soft gap theory, and they just would believe that there's billions of years and no death. But again, what we looked at last week in 1 verse 1, the beginning, that phrase is like it's, it started something like brand new. And we looked at, it says in scripture, it gives the idea that God made everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. There wasn't anything there previous in which he was working with. And again, we looked at, uh, actually in, in verse 2, most Bible translations, for whatever reason, don't have, starting in verse 2, there should be like an end. There should be an adjective in, in Hebrew to connect 1 and 2. 1 doesn't have it, 2 has it, everything comes after it, showing it's in, like in chronological order. But for whatever reason, our, our translations don't have that. So again, I don't, I don't think the gap theory holds up to what the text of Scripture is saying and with other Scriptures and theology too. So continuing on in day one, verse two, if you want to look that with me, verse two, forming the matter. Forming the matter. The earth was without, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That term, without form, could be formless or emptiness, it implied, it's implied to be a state prior to order and form. If you, if you think like it snows outside, and like, well, what form is the snow in? Like, it's lying on the ground. But if someone went and then built a snowman with it, like they've shaped it, it's just like without Shape, if you will. It's, it's formless, if that makes sense. And then the other word, so it's formless and void, a lack of order. Other translations say empty. No one was there. And again, many, many commentators here make a big deal, like, oh, look, the earth was without form and void. It was utter chaos because of the billions of years that preceded Previous, but no, it's like God in verse 1 made time, space, and matter, and then in verse 2, he starts to form that which he created. Henry Morris uh, says this the initial creation was not perfect in the sense that it was complete, but it was perfect for that first stage of God's six day plan 
of creation. Like, just think if, if you're, like, cleaning up the house, maybe had a bunch of people over, and there's, like, a big mess, and you started to clean, but you're not finished, and someone comes in and, like, well, have you done anything? Like, actually, I have done something, but I'm, I'm not finished yet. Or for any, anyone who has kids that build Lego or used to build Lego, right? If you, if, as they're working on it and you walked in, and you're like, like, what is that supposed to be? Well, I'm, not, I'm actually not finished. Like, maybe they had just started it. So, like, verse 1, God created space, time, and matter. And verse 2 starts working with it, if you will. So, the earth was without form and void, and, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The darkness being over, in a sense, it just, there's lack of light in the place. So darkness was over everything, because we see in verse 3, God says, let there be light. And darkness was over the, the face of the deep. This is a common biblical word for water, or oceans. Other translations actually use water. Genesis 7, 11, 8, 2, use that. And actually, just bring your attention to 2 Peter 3, 5. Peter wrote that there, talking about the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So there's just like mass amount of water and matter uh, sitting there. I guess water would be part of that. And, and the spirit of God is there. Most translations probably say hovering. We looked last week that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in the act of creation. The Spirit of God, there's a second member of the Trinity. So most translations say hovering, others say moving, some say fluttering. That, that same word could be also translated trembling or, or shaking or quivering. And other translations again say hover. It's interesting, the other times this word is used in the Bible, in Jeremiah 23, 9, it's, it's used shake. It's translated shake. And in Deuteronomy 32, 11, flutters. And so, I don't know about you, whenever I read the, the Spirit of God's hovering there, I'm like, he's not doing anything. But actually, I think if we truly translated this correctly, he's actually active in creation, actively forming that which was already there. That is void and empty, or without form and empty. So, the question is, like, what is the Holy Spirit doing there? And again, I think he's forming things, and Henry Morris was, is helpful here. He's, he's like a creation scientist. And so he believes that this is happening. If the, if the universe is to be energized, there must be an energizer. If it is to be set in motion, there must be a prime mover. As the outflowing energy from God's omnipresent spirit began to flow outward and to permeate the cosmos, gravitational forces were activated in water, and earth particles came together to form a great sphere moving through space. There was now a compass on the face of the deep, and the formless earth had assumed the beautiful form of a perfect sphere. It was now ready for light and heat and other forms of enlivening energy. Because as, as we're going to read, it seems like in verses 3 and 4, as uh, light comes in, it seems that there's a sphere, because there's, there's night and there's day. And we'll, I'll explain that later. So I think that the sphere is actually forming some of the stuff here in verse 2. I don't know if you've ever heard of any other, you know, uh, stories of, of how things came to be from other societies in different places in the ancients, and often they have like a similar story of like the gods fighting one another, and kind of like chaos, and one prevails, and then that's how it happens, but we do not see this 
in the Bible. There's no chaos. There's no one vying for who's going to do it. There's God, and he's created. And so all these other stories, there's not like, wow, like maybe they use some of these ancient stories to create, like no. In the beginning, God. So we see God is here forming and nothing is opposed to him. If you want to look with me to verses three and four, we see light with no sun. And, and God said, let there be light and there was light. God spoke. Is that the first record of God speaking in the Bible? Pretty amazing. You can notice the pattern here in Genesis. God speaks, it is. God speaks, it is. Look at verse 9, just the beginning. And God said, the end of verse 9, and it was so. Verse 11, God said, the end of verse 11, and it was so. Verses 14, God said, the end of verse 15, and it was so. God speaks, it happens. One commentator, Gordon Wenham, says this, it is a divine word of command that brings into existence what it expresses. Throughout Scripture, the word of God is both creative and effective. God spoke to create. How, how amazing is that? Just spoke words, it happened. We should stand in awe of that. That is amazing. It's almost the same thing as, you know, as we come to Christmas time, we're like, yeah, I've heard the story. Yeah, Jesus was born, and, and the, the shepherds came, and we lose reverence for that. And I think we also do for the beginning of Scripture. Yeah, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's amazing. Like, that, that should we, like, wow, really, did he actually do that? We've read it so many times, we're like, okay, I know, I've, I've heard it. Think about how amazing that is. We, we have, now we're like, we have the technology. Maybe you have Google at home or Alexa. Play, play, play my favorite song. But think about it. You had to go to the store and go buy that and plug it in and, and sync it with whatever you have. You're not like, Alexa, and out of nowhere, Alexa can. And I wouldn't recommend necessarily having those, uh, all your information uh, given to those big companies. Uh, that's just a side note, though. But, but friends, we don't have the ability to speak and shape our, our own reality, right? God spoke. It happened. We don't. We're the created. We don't have the ability to, like, I'm going to speak things, and it's going to change reality. Other than the fact that we have the ability to share the gospel with people, share the love of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and if they believe, it can totally change their life. They could be in darkness and they moved into light. Like, that's amazing. But in our own words, we do not have the ability, like God does, the creator, to speak and make things happen. But how amazing is that? He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. What is the light? The sun and the moon are not created until day four. I, I love that. It's like, what is, what's going on here? A lot of commentaries, they don't even like really try to figure that out. They're just like, well, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't know, actually. But there was light. This is what it says. Sarfati is, is helpful here. He says this, the light was not God, but something he created. In modern scientific terms, we would talk about electromagnetic radiation photons. Think about this. Do, you, do we have a problem with there being light 
and yet not being able to define what it is. Or, or there being light, and it's like, but the sun didn't come till day four. How is that possible? It, is that a problem? I think this also gets further proof to the Bible's authenticity. Because some people are like, oh, like human authors, they edited and changed things around, you know, without God inspiring them to do that. Like, if this was just human authorship, we'd be like, ah, like the sun doesn't come till day four. We would probably have changed that. But no, he said, let there be light, and there was light. What is, is going on there? So again, just think, do we have a problem with that? Think about this with me. And at the end of creation, Revelation 21, to, in verse 22 to 23, John has this amazing vision of the end of days. And he said this, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, referring to Jesus Christ. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Or, or 22 verse five, uh, 5, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amazing, at, at the end of scripture, light shine, this time emanating from God, from God's glory. So do we believe that? Do we believe that will happen? Are we anticipating that, that one day we'll be with the Lord in heaven, everyone who's believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, and, and there'll be no sun, there'll be no moon, because light will be going from the glory of God. Amazing. But I, I love it. As I'm reading, I'm like, I don't know. Let there be light. I don't know what it is, but it's a source of light that God created. And there it is. If you look at verse 4 with me, and, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God saw that the light was good. It was good. It had value. Creation is good. What makes it good is God made it. God makes all things good. One commentator said this, God is preeminently the one who is good and his goodness is reflected in his works. Think about this, the one who, who makes it kind of defines and gives it value. What I mean by that is like, say if, if you go and you, you got something from the dollar store, you're like, I, I fully expect this thing to last a long time because it was, there's a lot of effort put into, no, we're like, it breaks. We're like, well, I got it from the dollar store. Whoever made it, we know like it's not built to last. Or I, I was going to, you know, in terms of furniture, I'm like, I don't know. Do I, do I name a furniture store that doesn't make good furniture? Maybe I won't. We'll just like, you buy furniture from a place, but you, you pay, you get what you pay for. And you know, like, it's, maybe it's not going to last that long. But maybe if you go to Lazy Boy and you get like their leather recliner and it's like double stitched, you like, because of who made it, because of how it's made, gives it value. But God, everything he makes is good. Everything. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about that as we think about how God made male and female. No one <laughs> out of, uh, that would have any insignificance because God made us. That's getting ahead a few days in creation, though. <laughs> but God makes things of value. And then we see here, God saw the light was good and God separated 
the light from the darkness. God separated the light from the darkness. This word separated, uh, one guy said, it means here not to pull apart, but to assign each part to its respective sphere and slot. God's like, okay, darkness is going to be in this, this area and, and, and light in this area. God created the earth and the light on the first day. We can assume now, as, as the Spirit, if, if the Spirit created the sphere and put it together, that the earth is starting to rotate. And as it's rotating, right, wherever the, the light's emanating from, there's darkness. And as the darkness turns and the earth rotates, and then the light goes upon it. I think that is what is happening. Sarfati, again, he says this, to reinforce the fact that the normal 24-hour cycle had begun, God also separates the light from the darkness. And, and here in the beginning, as we were looking at uh, day one, uh, light means light. <laughs> and, and then we have like the absence of light, darkness. I, I just want to point that out because later on in, in biblical history, uh, in the scriptures, wickedness becomes associated with darkness. But here it's actually just talking about like lack of light, darkness. Like as in people like do bad things at night, the ability to hide in the shadows, right, type mentality. I want to say, just kind of run with this for a second, if you will. Just think about this with me. That light and darkness, as you go into the scripture, particularly the New Testament, light and darkness are also really understood in a spiritual sense, especially in the New Testament. I'm just going to read a few verses uh, for us. First is from John, John 8, 12. So now I'm, like, I'm thinking in a spiritual sense, light and darkness. John 8, 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So just think, like, introduce Genesis 1, literal light, literal darkness. In time, as they're going back there, they're using that as an analogy for the spiritual life. John 12, 35 and 36. Jesus said this, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not need to know where he, does not need to know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And 1 John 1, 5 to 7. John again says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see the powerful analogy being used to be in the light? Again, look what the apostle Paul does with it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And notice, notice what he, quote, he quotes here. He actually quotes Genesis 1-3. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4-6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing passage. So Paul says, For God who said, Look, Genesis 1-3, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing passage. I just think about this. What does that mean to have this light shining in our hearts 
Friends, have you seen your need for Christ? Have you been coming or maybe has something happened in your life and you feel like you're being drawn closer to God? You're like, oh, I, I feel like I want to know him. I want to walk in his ways. You want to learn more about him. God is shining in your hearts. And again, what is, what's the purpose as he does it? That you would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God, I pray he's done that in, in most of us, anyone he hasn't, that you would shine his light in your hearts, that you would see the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. How good he is, how perfect he is, how he lived a perfect life and how he was crucified on the cross for my sins and for you and how he was buried in the grave and he rose again to new life. And anyone who had put their faith and trust in him then would walk in the light and be born again and changed. Amen to that, that God would shine his light into our hearts. And we'd see more clearly the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, I pray this for us as we seek to follow his ways. We'd walk in the light as he is in the light. I pray the Lord would increase our light in a spiritual sense so we can see where we're going and know what is important. I don't know if there's anyone have a Psalm 119, 105. As a little kid, it's kind of one of the first verses you learn for whatever reason. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Is it? Is God's word that in your life? Oh, friend, I, I, I pray it would be true. I was reading this book just recently about these uh, believers. It was in the 70s in, in the Soviet time in some Eastern European country. And they were going to this village somewhere. They wanted to just work manual labor over the winter time so they could make enough money to purchase a broken down Bible they could take back to their village. But while they were there, they came into contact with this man and he had a Bible and he gave it to them. They returned to their village. They sent them a letter, this man a letter, like just so thankful. So just praising the Lord. And what they did with the Bible is they, they broke it up into 30 pieces so everyone could have a portion of the scripture to just devour and to read and to pray over and then they would switch. His word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but it's not if it stays closed. The other, just last night I was, I was leaving our room. All the lights were off in the house. Light was on in our room, and as I went to go downstairs, pitch black. I couldn't see a thing. <laughs> so I just went, you know, gingerly downstairs, and I, whatever, I turned the light on to get whatever I needed to get. And then I was going back upstairs, all the lights off again. We're about to go to bed. But as I'm looking towards the room, it's like, it's like so bright. There's just a little light emanating from the door, but it wasn't darkness. And that's it, right? As we have like God's light increasing in our hearts, as we're like we're in his word, we're meditating upon it, we're seeing the face of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, teach me, apply it to my life. Show me where I'm walking that's not good. Bring me back onto the path. Reveal any darkness in me. Oh, that we'd see more light and see more clearly. So we see that which is first seen in a literal sense, light and darkness, becomes a huge talking point for our spiritual lives and following Christ. Thank you for allowing me to take that excursion. And we'll back to Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 5 with me. So again, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
Think about God called it a day. In verse 5, God called it a day. Think about he named. God called the light day. Think about the significance of that with me. In the darkness, he called night. The combination of this twofold process, says James McCowan, creating and naming demonstrates that God is unrivaled as the ultimate authority over everything that exists. He creates, he names. Think about like naming is a sign of authority and rule, right? We, we, I'll just give you a couple examples. In, in 2 Kings 23, 34, kind of as the kingdom of Judah is on the brink and different kings are coming and taking over, 2 Kings 23, 34 said this, and Pharaoh Necho, so he's from Egypt, made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah, his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. So he didn't like Eliakim, so he changed it to Jehoiakim, and he took Jehoaz away, and he came to Egypt, and he died there. So he's like, hey, I'm, you're off the throne, you're on the throne, and this is your name. We see that again in, in 24:17, And the king of Babylon made Mathaniah, Je- Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. You're off the throne, you're on the throne, and I'm going to change your name. We know this really well if we, if we turn to the book of Daniel. Does anyone know Daniel's, like, his, his friends' names, their Hebrew names? So we know Daniel. No, but we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you grew up in the church, because like, as they went to Babylon, like, it's not those names anymore, Michelle, and I forget the other two. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because you went to a place that, hey, they have authority over you. Think as we have our kids, you have children, the parents name the kids. It's a, re- a reminder to the children, right? Hey, I have authority over you. <laughs> and sometimes we need to uh, let, let them know about that. <laughs> but he called the light day, as the period where light is to differentiate it from the night. And we all, you know, just use that all the time. Like, well, when did that happen? Did it happen in the afternoon? Did it have, happen at midnight? And when we're talking about different events, we're like determining, like, was it during the day? Was it during the night? This is established here, <laughs> right? This is amazing. And, and look how he, how he finishes it. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is what's it's, it's really amazing if you think about this. Every time in the creation, so day one, there was evening, there was morning the first day. Verse eight, there was evening, there was morning the second day. Every single time, just showing that, hey, these are the same periods of time, right? There's not something different going on. There's evening, there's morning, the first day. So a question we should ask here, and I want to address, does a day mean day? When it says in Scripture, uh, in in verse 5, the first day, the word day there, does it actually mean day? And maybe some of you are actually thinking through this, again, wrestling through this, or for sure you know others that do. Out of like my 10 commentaries, only two would say it was a literal 24-hour day. The others are like, no. They would would hold to uh, what is called day-age theory. I'll just share that with you in a second. But again, uh, this one commentator notes about this evening and morning. So now I'm just going to give you proof. Why would I hold to it? It's a literal 24-hour days. And I'll give you the, the kind of day-age theory here in a moment. 
Well, one of that, that evening and morning, Robert Raymond says this, the qualifying words evening and morning attached here to each of these recurring statements occur together outside of Genesis in 30 verses. In each instant, these words are employed to describe an ordinary day. So anytime out of Genesis you see evening and morning, it always refers to a day. The thing is, as Henry Morris notes, many sincere and competent biblical scholars have felt it so mandatory to accept the geological age system that they have prematurely settled on the so-called day-age theory as a recommended interpretation of Genesis 1. By this device, they seek more or less to equate the days of creation with the ages of evolutionary geology. So again, the day-age theory is like that word day there is kind of like this un- undetermined amount of time, millions, years. We don't know how much is past, ages or period. And so their argument is saying like, well, a day, the Hebrew words in some circumstances can mean like an undetermined amount of time. And I want to show you why a day means a day here. And so they would also, you know, maybe go to places like Psalm 940, who hold to a day age theory, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or Second or Peter 3.8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And what they're really trying to say is like, time's different for God. So when he says a day, maybe he means something different. But the reality is like, what these scriptures are saying, in fact, like God is outside of time. In the beginning, God, God's eternal, always was, is, and will be. And again, they think, well, well, maybe this day means something much different in an indeterminate amount of time because if you, again, look at the fossil records, how they, how they get there. And again, they'd be implying death before the fall. And I think as we look at the flood in the future, we'll think through how those fossils came to be such intense pressures of the waters pouring forth out of the earth. But again, what does the text say? This is what I want you to see with me. What does the text say? So I read in my translation, it says, the first day. I don't know, maybe some of you have that, the first day. And then I was, I was, as I was reading, like with the Hebrew, the Hebrew actually says, one day. And I was like, what? And I, I read other passages where they said, other translations, they said, one day. I'm like, why don't they just say the first day? I thought they're, they're compromising. This is the first day, but the Hebrew actually says, one day. But that's what the text says, evening, morning, one day. Like God's actually defining for us what is a day. You have evening, you have morning, one day. What's actually really interesting, so on the the second to the fifth day, I guess the first be included in that, there's no article, there's no the. We have in our English translations because it reads better, the second day, the third day. It should say one day, second day, third day. Not until you get to the sixth day. Then it says the sixth day, like it marks it aside as special, and the seventh day. We'll talk about that later. God, because creation of humans in God's image. God set aside the seventh day, the seventh day, as special. But even just think, so is it a day? It's so tied in with Sabbath, so if you'll just uh, listen to me, but I'm just going to turn to Exodus 28 to 11. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day. Of course, it would be a literal day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So like it, it makes sense when they're like, you have to do this. You work six days because that's what God did. It's not saying like God gave some un- indeterminate amount of time, but no, literally six days. So here's some, some more evidence. Why is a day a day? Robert Raymond says this, in the 476 other cases in the Old Testament where there's yom, that's the, day, that's the Hebrew word for day, in conjunction with a cardinal or an ordinal number, like two days, three days, seven days, it never means anything other than a normal, literal day. In the 476 other times you see the word day with a number, it always means a literal day. Raymond's helpful here too. He says in the 858 occurrences of the plural use of that, days in the Old Testament, their reference are always ordinary days. Ages are never expressed by that word. Friends, just think about this also with me for a second. I just want to show you out of the text, like there's so much evidence a day means a day. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Where did Moses grow up? He grew up in Egypt. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. And at that time, like Egypt was the greatest kingdom on earth. And so he had the best education that money could buy. And Moses knew Hebrew. (laughs) He knew the language. And Moses had at his disposal the word olam, and for sure I'm, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but it means an age or a period of indeterminate amount of time. And so if Moses wanted to tell us that God made everything in this period of time, we're not sure how much time it was, he would have used that word. He was highly educated. But instead, he used the word day that always, almost, always means literal day. But again, if we miss it, there was evening, there was morning, one day, a 24-hour period of time. What I want you to see is this is like not, this is an opinion. This is what the text teaches Friends, that's what I want you to see. We can have an opinion, or whether we say, I, I believe it, or I don't, but I'm just wondering, like, clearly what it says in the scripture, this is what it teaches, a day is a literal 24-hour day in the six days of creation. Our opinion is, do we hold to that or not? Makes me think of, of Job 38, verse 4, right? Job, when God shows up, and God says this to him, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Friends, none of us were there, and so we need to take God's inspired word to tell us what happened at the beginning. So yes, the Bible teaches that God created in six literal days. Do we believe it? We can, you can say, hey, my opinion, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he did it that way. But then the question is, where else in scripture do you get to decide? Like, hey, as as the the Jews left Egypt and God brought a water over them, the Egyptians? Okay, yeah, over the Egyptians. (laughs) 
I don't know, sorry, if I, I, I may have said that, if you just think, you're like, ah, I don't know if I, don't know if I believe that. The Bible teaches that, the Red Sea. The Bible teaches us what is good sexually. The Bible teaches that God made us male and female. We're like, ah, I don't know. So if you're going to, right at the beginning of Scripture, start to say, well, yeah, okay, it says that, but I have this opinion. Okay, then where else? When Scripture says something clear, you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. This is not a salvation issue, for sure. Believers are on either side, but I hope you could see today the text itself is actually quite clear. I just, I just hope, that's my, my, my desire, as I hope the scripture, as God has presented it, is very clear. The question is, do, do we believe it? So there you go, the first day of creation or as the text actually says, one day. Right? That's why I said with my title at the start. That's actually not true. One day. 24 hours. God began time, matter, space. He formed matter into a sphere. He spoke light into existence. No sun yet. He named day and evening. All this in a 24-hour period. Amazing. Friends, just in closing, I just want to read Psalm 33, verse 6 to 8. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. May you bow with me in prayer. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you are honored and glorified by what is said. I pray our hearts to be encouraged that we be able to trust what is said in your word and in faith believe it. Lord, I, I pray uh, even maybe as people wrestle through this subject, God, that you would give them faith, an opportunity to talk about it, Lord, but thank you for the clarity you have given us in your scripture. I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts and that we would more and more be amazed at your creation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.